it is interesting, um, you know, uh, therapy, which I have advocated for, for as long as I can remember. You go to a therapist, you listen to what's said, and you respect the clinician. And unless you ask questions and you express concerns, you share fears, and you expect for the clinician, the therapist to really hear you, you may as well burn the money that the therapy costs you and, you know, just count the time as something you've wasted. And I don't, and so to your, so the catalyst for me was giving myself permission to say, I understand that this is a useful thing and it is not helpful for me. Can you help me find, or can you support me while I find what will be helpful? When we are who we truly are, who we really are, everything is possible. And you know this from your own life. I mean, whatever, wherever the aha moments, wherever the lessons come from, they come. And however we got to them, that's going to be exclusive and individual to each of us. That's Kate Harvey, and I'm Brian Falcher. This is Do A Day. You'll hear from the most inspiring people who have been through hard times, overcome them, and have turned around to help others with what they've learned. I'm your host, Brian Falchuk. I know we can all overcome and achieve because I've lived it myself. I've written about it in my book, Do A Day, and that's why I'm bringing you this show. Remember, today's a new day. Go out and do it. What's up, Do A Day podcast listeners? It's your buddy, Adam, the PhD, the previously heavy dude from the Million Pound Mission podcast, where I teach people how to reclaim control over their transformation journey. You are listening to the Do A Day podcast, and here is your host, my friend, Brian Falchuk. Hey, day doers, welcome back for another episode of Do A Day. My guest today is a woman named Kate Harvey, who has a very interesting, powerful, difficult story of a trauma that befell her in 2009 that literally stopped her in her tracks, actually knocked her back from her tracks and put her life on pause while she tried to rebuild and recreate or create a new path ahead. But during that pause, the world continued on. The people around her that she had known continued down their path. And so she had a discourse, a disconnect with the things she had been connected to. And so it wasn't just this trauma that I'll let her tell you about. It was the way the world continued on after that. That was part of what made it so hard to figure out how do you move forward? Really powerful delivery of tons of insights. Kate's amazing. Her book's incredible. Let's jump in to this episode of Do A Day with Kate Harvey. Kate Harvey, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Thank you so much. Are you kidding? Please. I'm not kidding. This is very serious. And we're, I think we could do like a half an hour of just thanking each other. Um, this is awesome. Like, so you, you have an incredible story. It blows me away. And yeah, you know, I grabbed your book like four days ago, I think. And just thinking like, oh my God, there's way too much on my plate. I, I have this, I should have it before I interview her, but there's just no chance. And I'm, I'm sitting here, I'm looking at the Kindle version. I'm on page 108 of 120, like I'm nine pages short. I'm so close and I want to finish. And I almost was like, can we delay it a half an hour? But we're going to get into it. It's amazing. Like your story is in some points, breathtaking, um, harrowing, and so true throughout. And I love this overarching, like I was just telling you before we're recording the self-worth power that keeps coming through in it. So I can't wait to get into this. But before we do that, give us a little taste of who the heck you are these days. And there's such a build to that that we're going to get into. Sure. I am the contributing writer at the Universal Hip Hop Museum. And I do strategy and communications for the Vanderbilt Republic and a new business called Midheaven Network. And it's interesting, my friend Lisa's mother says, people that, um, what, did she say? what did she say? People that don't have a job have a lot of time or something like that. And that's true. And it's interesting how we find ourselves in the work that we do uh, when our lives, which may have begun linear, 
Yeah. You know, you're born, you go to school, you go to school, maybe serve and uh, maybe do service, you work, marry, you have children, and the cycle, you know, repeats. When you're, when the linear goes either haywire yeah. or left to right, you do figure it out. And I hopefully we all land where we are, not where we're supposed to land, where we are built to land. Hmm. Well, yeah, what is that supposed to? Anyway, it's like what we presumed, really. We get a, a lot of us don't figure that out, and you, you didn't have a choice. Like figuring out was forced it upon you. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. Um, you know how we grow up and what we, what we learn and who we have to learn from. Whether we replicate, whether we are, whether we duplicate, or whether we are inspired by. Ultimately, it comes down to asking ourselves the hard question. Besides what will make me money? What yeah. will make me happy? How am I bringing to the world? Yeah. Um, all right. I, we could belabor this, but we got to get into your story. So take us back 2000, well, pre-2009, like frame it up, what was going on in your life? And then sure. there's a moment. I had been laid off from a job a week before. Because uh, the world melted down, like much like 2008 today. 2008 was reasons. weird, right? I yeah. mean, not all of 2008, but for sure the qu fourth quarter through 2008. And I think I, a lot of people I know had something of an aha moment at some point. Me personally, I decided I wanted to get pregnant. So I began, began cleaning up my life, you know, physically, nutritionally, et cetera, in the end of 2008. And you know, continued where I was working and had an HSN appearance. And then I think a week or so, maybe a week and a half, or maybe a little long after that, I was laid off from the job. Oh. You see it coming. And we've all been there, I think, at some point. So a week following the layoff, I uh, went to Brooklyn to see a then good friend of mine. And she wanted to get her hair colored by the woman that had colored my hair. So we decided to walk from her and her husband's place to the hairstylist in her husband's place. And while walking, uh, the wind blew my uh, hat off my head. Now, I'm all about hats. Okay. So I tucked back down in the crosswalk to get my hat. And an ambulance, which is a smaller ambulance, um, hit me. So that was ironic. And I won't go through all of the medical stuff, but uh, two and a half weeks in a coma, oh. several surgeries uh, in two hospitals, and when I was, the day before I was released from the second hospital, I was told that due to the nature of my injury, uh, it was against New York law for me to live by myself. So for the first time since I was 14, I was going to live at my parents' house, which is in Ohio. So that was humbling. So just for, and, without deep, diving too deep into it, hmm. you had a traumatic brain injury. I did. I apologize. You, yes. No, no. I just for, no, for people to understand why. Absolutely. So, yeah. The, and the traumatic brain injury um, rendered me pretty much useless for to the world. And so much so that when I was released from the hospital, my memory abilities were below the first percentile. And that performance is similar to that of an intellectually disabled person. I was 34 and had gone to high school, college, law school, worked, and was pretty much back to zero. Yeah. So that's why that memory capability makes it very hard to care for yourself. So Indeed. that's where that's where that, that law was then triggered. But you were this independent, educated person living thousands of miles from where you were from in the toughest city in the world and making it, and then back to depending on your parents. It's interesting when you when you choose a change like that because whether it's burnout or you want to change jobs, go back to school, you're in a you ended a, a relationship, and you seek the support, the counsel, the love of the people that you know care about you. That's one thing, and when it's not your choice, I mean, even if you know intellectually it's the right thing to do, you know, you may get all silly about it. And yeah. I certainly was. 
for, I'm sure you could ask my parents and they would politely yet honestly tell you that I was troubling. But in the four and a half, five months that I was there, um, it was, I wouldn't say the most difficult time in my life. It was probably the most introspective. Mm. So I was there for four and a half, five months, and then came back to New York in early September of that year to a world that had completely changed. And I don't mean globally, because that certainly is the case. My world, uh, professionally, personally, uh, in urban life, the rhythm had slowed, if not stopped for me. And it hadn't for anybody else. And so my readjustment my reacclimation was um, was fascinating. Yeah, and uh, so I'm very entertaining. Well, you you talk about this like the pause button had been hit on my life, and not for anyone else. And then when you're unpaused and you come back into the scene, there's this like this disconnect that you're living with, and it seems like it, it took a lot of further introspection and and self-work to figure out like to not to not take it personally that their lives had continued and i can imagine it's not just like oh i missed out and i'm out of the loop and that doesn't feel good it's also the like the reason why and what you had to go through and what you've lost or what you've suffered through or you know had to work through and it's almost like why aren't they here for me why didn't they stop their life for me whether that feels silly or not like it's hard. I, I could see why it'd be hard not to feel those kinds of things on top of everything else of reacclimating to life. If you, I'm 46. And when you grow up with parents that grew up during the war, after the war, you learn early about bootstrapping. It's not called that. No one refers to it like that. No one, uh, you know, pushes you to work in a startup environment or start your own business. At the same time, if you can't figure it out, you don't stop. So I was in circles, you know, because I didn't feel good to say, hey, like, can you not find time to hang with me? Or I know you moved or I know you are pregnant or I know that you have a new job. And can we like just get our nails done or you know, gossip about all the nonsense that's in us weekly or whatever. I didn't feel I could do that. And that was my error because if they're your friends and they care about you and they get you, they're likely to accept who you are, how you are. And where I ran into the problem was I couldn't do that about myself. Yeah. Because it's your life. There's no fight or flight when it's your life. You hunker down and you figure it out. Yeah. And where I tripped up and how I, people laugh because I say often these days, tortoise over hare. Because it's easy to be patient with other people. And it's very difficult to be patient with yourself, at least for me. Yeah, no, that's very true. And like, so you said tortoise over hare to me Mm. in one of our email exchanges. Yeah, yeah. It's brilliant. Um, But it's also, it's like, there's this repeated theme in the book of, of these different interactions where you don't want to ask for help. I mean, you talk a lot about that and you need to ask for help, but even just clarity, like, you know, the business you went into that you talk about with a friend of yours and there were all these clarifying expectation setting questions up front that you didn't ask. And there's lots of reasons why, but one of those reasons is you don't want to impose on her. You don't want to plot. And it's like asking for help, asking for clarity, asking for what you need and not or not doing those things because of the imposition or what you think it's going to lead the person to think. And then you end up creating all these things that end up causing the problems that a simple question, a simple conversation could have solved. Um, And you say it, it's like not asking for help and not being open to receiving it. Both of those are problematic. 100%. What I think is for me, the fundamental reason why I didn't ask for help. Initially, I thought it was because of shame. Hmm. That what am I asking for? Shouldn't I know this? I know this environment. I know this person. 
this is I've gone through something or did something related similar to this at some point where I came to find the truth about not asking for help is I didn't have the courage. Yeah. I think courage somehow is part of one of the components of self-awareness. Now that doesn't maybe make a lot of sense. At the same time, when you know, what is what does Nikki Giovanni say? Nikki Giovanni says, if you don't understand yourself, you don't understand anybody else. And she said that to James Baldwin in London in November, 1971. If you don't understand yourself, you don't understand anybody else. So I clearly, clearly didn't understand who I was and did not come to realize that it's not that big a deal to say, you know what, this is confusing to me. And could you clarify this please? And so what I think you said and what I think you meant, grownups, excuse me, adults are less likely to frame a question like that. I think we are more inclined to say, okay, so what I think is, or, Instead of asking, we just do it. And then it turns yeah. out it's opposite to what was actually meant. And I, I want someone's going to win the Nobel Prize for identifying why we don't ask for help. Why? Hmm. I mean, everyone's got their individual reasons. Yeah. And I think for me, it came to courage. I'd already been such a mess. People had been so kind and so supportive and so understanding. And here I am. I'm still not figured it out. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Hadn't 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 it come to that? The, the courage point's a really interesting one for me because it a lot of it is like you talk about this fear of exposing the weakness that you don't know or that you're not good enough at this thing or you need the help, right? I, and totally. courage, we yeah, like we we conflate courage with um, the facade of strength or we think that not needing anyone is what strength is instead of acknowledging where you need help and how to build a network of people who support you in your weaknesses, just like you support others in theirs. And like there, there's this false sense of what courage and strength are. And so we might call it courage when we don't do those things like, Oh no, I'm, I'm brave enough not to have to admit, you know, and show my week, like, I'm going to figure this out. That's not courage. But we, like, there's definitely some, some people are raised with that notion. Yeah. That, like, asking is a weakness. 100%. There's the tenacity that is required of all of us, and that's been made very clear since early March of this year globally. The stick-to-itiveness of, I want this, I need this, it is supposed to happen, let me continue to, you know, try this and whatever. What could have helped me when I was just, I don't know, people talk a lot about imposter syndrome these days, and I, I don't think I had imposter syndrome, but I, imposter syndrome, I think I had I'm embarrassed by who I really am syndrome. What could have served me was flipping failure. And by that, I mean, looking back on the times when something had gone full stupid and I figured it out. Like when I failed the bar exam, which was not expected. And- But which I, loads of people that like super yeah, high percentage of failure. And, 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 and when people have that in their origin story, they like JFK Jr., rest in peace, um, they usually have a return to uh, the exam and they take it again and they pass. Yeah. And Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Um, I didn't really want to practice law. I run into so many challenges insofar as what felt not integrity-based and unjust and too colonial for words mm -hmm. so that I could come back from that and you know speak to people I knew uh find a job doing something I loved which is which was in advertising then you know I how I didn't recall that yeah. and remember that it could be done 
who knows? One thing um, that all of us can benefit from is remembering that when something destructive happens, whether it's bankruptcy, left at the altar, you know, losing a job, something you didn't expect, our perspective is forever changed. And that means nothing is going to be the same. Yeah. So we have to find new ways to perceive and address and resolve and tackle and conquer. Yeah. I mean, there's no need to rewrite the book. Just, you know, read it the other way around or something. Yeah. But things will never be the same. Yeah. And the hearkening back to, because people would say to me very often, oh, well, did you go back to work at such and such? Or, you know, are you still seeing so-and-so? And, you know, things that had occurred before I was hurt. And I certainly appreciated, you know, that they were, that they said it because things were good then. Yeah. And it didn't really matter because whether I was good or not, because I was different. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I have a, a question that I'll admit, like you might get into in the last nine pages of the book. So maybe you touched yeah, on cool. this, but yeah, there's, cool. there's something that's growing in me as I'm reading it. And it's this, I want you to talk about the survivor's guilt, because usually mm -hmm. like when I first saw that, I thought you were about to start talking about your friend who, you know, the, the one you're going to like help her mm -hmm. get her hair done. And, yep. and so she was living with that, but you're talking about for yourself. And so then as I'm reading the rest of the book, I'm sitting here thinking of not just the, you described yourself as useless to the world after the accident. So like not just the personal sense of uselessness, which is a, a hell of a thing to feel about yourself. And, and sure. I see that journey in the book, but I wonder if there's, and, and this is why I think you might, you might address this because you start to talk about like that every day waking up and feeling like, you know, I shouldn't be alive. I'm grateful for this. Is it a burden then to search out that purpose for like, why do I even get to exist? And am I doing like, am I worth enough to deserve the fact that I'm not dead when I could and should be? Like, is that is that part of the burden, the sense of like, you owe it and you don't know how to deliver on that, you know, that debt? You worded that question in a way that is kind of so PhD and thoughtful as to, um, have me pause for a second to process it. So the question, which is, I think, how do you find the willingness or the realization to keep going, kind of? And if I'm wrong there, correct me, please. No, but it is um, in the context of feeling this, do you carry a debt? a sense of like, a, a, you know, people who have to live up to their father's standards or it's like right. 100%. the universe's standard now that you even get to be alive. Yeah. I got into an argument with someone. Um, I forget how many years after um, they asked me, why do you volunteer so much? Do you volunteer so much because you owe it because you're supposed to be dead and you're not? I mean, I was, somewhat struck dumb by the question. Yeah. Not only because, wow, I mean, no, no one to my recollection had ever said, so you know you're supposed to be dead, right? Which is yeah, basically so, kind of what yeah. they said. And which by all scientific and medical measurement was true. Uh, so hearing this and being challenged by how I was volunteering like it was my job for two reasons. One, because I'd become dedicated to the place where I was hurt. And two, because I didn't have a paying job. Um, I tried to respond with grace and said, no, I, I've always volunteered uh, since, you know, I can remember. Yeah. And I volunteered here for a while. So I don't think I owe the world anything. Um, are you saying, you know, uh, help me understand what you meant. And they referred... Uh, to um, the, you know, did I feel bad? And so as a result, I needed to, you know, um, not make amends because that's, you know, 
within 12 steps and that's not related to it, but I just couldn't wrap my head around why me doing for other people, which certainly served me and what I learned and the community I was part of, how that was in some way like required of me yeah. or had to happen. And I thought about it for a long time. I wouldn't, we're not, I don't, I haven't seen that person in a long time. I thought about it for, I mean, it never quite left my mind. What I chose to, what I chose to take from the dialogue, which ultimately became an argument, was time is a gift. Whether it's five minutes, you know, talking with someone you haven't seen in seven years, or it's a long road trip you take by yourself with a friend, what happens in those moments? Yeah. Especially when there was a thought that you might not witness them or exist with them or have these happenings anymore. It is truly and wonderfully valuable. Yeah. And so if, if I was going to be on this earth and Regina Brett talks about this in her amazing book, God Never Blinks, she talks about, there's a chapter about getting to. And I, a good friend of our family gave me this book when I was uh, at my family's house, my parents' house. And when I came to this chapter and read about Regina as a breast cancer survivor, how she adopted a notion of getting to spend time with her daughter, go to work, put gas in her car, all these different things. That notion of getting to, that it was my joy, my privilege, my honor to be in this world and of this world, what I chose to do with my time needed to be if not significant, it needed to be positive. Yeah. Did I answer your question? Yeah. No, you you did. And um took me a minute. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I, I'm just thinking about, I mean, that you do you do volunteer a lot, you talk about it, and there are times where you talk about it as I couldn't get a paying job, so I needed to do something to be productive. And I felt like, yeah, I, I can see that and that you're probably glossing over some of like like the argument of is altruism truly altruistic or like mm. because the person being altruistic is feeling something in response to being that like there is still a benefit for them right. so I figure like it's okay for you to feel like i am having an impact and that even if it's a little bit of a reminder that you can and that there's value in you at a point where you're feeling so cut off from that 100 uh, percent. yeah what the the benefit to the the primary benefit to me to have volunteered as much as I did at an organization where I'm not present now was what I learned while I was there as much as the young people that I helped and the organization that I supported as much as you know tactically tangibly I was doing something positive for me yeah to be in an environment where I was in so many ways starting from scratch, not that I mentioned that or said that or ever, I think to my knowledge ever said, oh my gosh, thank you so much for letting me volunteer three times a day yeah. and twice yeah. you know, uh, for almost the whole day, two of those days. It was, lucky is a true, I, I didn't feel lucky because I think luck is the lottery because yeah, it's random. Yeah. I felt, and I, and. I think blessed, unfortunately, is used so much. I'm not sure people really mean it when they say how blessed they are and be blessed and, you know, first lady and whatever. I was grateful that they found my presence in whatever ways worth me being on that roster. Yeah. And so when I would get off the train and walk, down, you know, because I wanted the exercise, plus I liked that route better, and see what was around me and look forward to it. I was in every way 
cognizant that yes, I was volunteering and whatever, but I was the one gaining from it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I definitely can see that. Um, so I, one thing I want to, I want to understand better is how did you do it? So you said, you know, lots of introspection. Um, I just read the section where you had worked with a couple of coaches and I'm like, okay, so this is, this is the point where it's going to be like, and that's what unlocked it. And then I started down this journey, but that didn't do it. So what, you know, for, cause the, as you know, like the point of the show is I'm listening, I'm stuck, this inspires me. And so what do I do? Um, so what, what do you think was, what was the catalyst to start that introspection from creating change? Yo, thank you so much for asking this. No one ever asks me that. I mean, they may, it, we may get to it. No one ever asked me that. All right. So the catalyst was a collection of therapeutic in quotation marks conversations and sessions with whether they were business related or psychologically related, social, uh, familial, in every way trying to help me. And nothing seemed to change. I mean, needle on a stuck record in every way possible. And I came to realize that for me to come back and second act and recover, however we want to call it, there had to be the, what I call now the academic and the actual. The academic is the science, the diagnosis, the best practices. This yeah. is what's worked statistically. And, you know, a celebrity, a notable person, a famous person did this. They got better. Statistical success, reported, studied, recognized things. The, this has always worked and we've always done it this way. The academic. The academic is in theory and it's where we start. And after so much of that, I thought, all right, so what's actually going to help me short of, you know, stuff I wasn't supposed to do like psychotropics and because uh, ayahuasca has helped several colleagues and yeah. friends of mine. Yep. Um, and I'm not supposed to do that stuff. And I'm not sure I'd want to because I lived in the rabbit hole. I'm not trying to go there for three days for fun. Yeah. So you've got the academic and then there's the actual. How does a person feel? What does a person think? How does a person think? The reality of what happened that put someone in a bad place, a tricky place. The reality of the aftermath. The, I know I'm expected to respond like this and in this way, and what I'm really feeling, what I'm really doing is something else. This is, why am I still struggling? This is, what is better? This is better? Because to me, better means something else. Mm. This is, I know you expect me to be whatever, and I'm scared. I'm stuck. And I don't understand. So the actual is how we succeed because we act with truth. So example, you know, eat clean, watch your sugar intake, work out, walk more. That's the academic. And for that to really work, you have to believe you are beautiful, strong, good looking, worthy of health uh, and be successful with your health, regardless of clothing sizes and scale numbers and yeah. um, odometer, et cetera. I mean, that for me was giving myself permission to say, I hear it, that's great, interesting stuff, useful, makes a lot of sense. And for me, not going to do it. Yeah. So what can work? And that was an important thing for me to get to. It is interesting, um, you know, uh, therapy, which I have advocated for, for as long as I can remember. You go to a therapist, you listen to what's said, and you respect the clinician. And unless you ask questions and you express concerns, you share fears, and you expect for the clinician, the therapist to really hear you, yeah. you may as well burn the money that the therapy costs you and you know, just count the time as something you've wasted. And I don't, and so, to your, so the catalyst for me was giving myself permission to say, 
I understand that this is a useful thing and it is not helpful for me. Yeah. Can you help me find, or can you support me while I find what will be helpful? Yeah. What, weird what answer you, to your, a weird answer to your question, I'm sure. No, like, so this whole, like, the, the sort of going through all the things you're feeling mm -hmm. you know, about what better is and I'm scared and I'm lost and I don't understand. Like, I think that's in all of us when we're in these places. And this is back to the courage point because the courage to me is the willingness to actually let those things out instead of like when someone points something out or you find it's not clicking it. So you have the, um, the, the three, like, was it belief, act, react, act, react, fact. Act, fact. Um, it's, it's the react and maybe a little bit of the act stuff where it's like, what do you, I'm not that like put up my, you know, put up your fists and like, I'm yeah. tough. I don't need it. Yeah. Your courage is letting that stuff that's going on inside of you come out instead of letting it kill you from the inside. Well said, well said. The word permission is not one that people like to use. And I think it may come from you know, and growing up in school and there's a field trip and your parents have to sign the permission slip to allow you to leave campus. And so maybe because the word permission is rooted mm -hmm. in that kind of thing. I don't know. Allow is a synonym, though that also doesn't necessarily feel right because that's different. Like you are allowed to watch television before you go to bed, whatever. That's rules, yeah. When we give ourselves the opportunity to say, you know, I get that that worked for 99% of people and I'm not trying to be special. I just happen to not find that useful. And it is not like I haven't tried. Yeah. So can you help me either take this and mix it up, reseason it and do it another way? Or can you, help me feel like I'm not a complete disastrous failure by approaching it in another manner. Mm. I mean, when we are who we truly are, who we really are, everything is possible. And you know this from your own life. Yeah. I mean, as much as we may not feel like we can brag about it and, you know, publicly go on about, well, you know, great thing about failing the bar was, you know, <laughs> yeah. the great thing about, you know, dating for, you know, six some years, the guy you lost your virginity to and not marrying him. I mean, whatever, wherever the aha moments, wherever the lessons come from, they come. And however we got to them, that's going to be exclusive and individual to each of us. Yeah. And someone said to me, this was funny. When my book was about to be released, someone said, so weren't you hurt a long time ago? <laughs> and it's been I, too and long, I, so you can't, I yeah. <laughs> and, you know, out of context, I said, huh, yeah, it was back in 2009. And they said, I swear. So it took you that long to write the book. And I mean, I think this was them trying to be kind because, you know, neurologically, I may not have developed, you know, in a positive way. And I said, it wasn't that so much as I didn't realize that I needed to write the book. Yeah. 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 I mean, again, people's intentions, I think I touch on this in the book too intention and perception. Don't always play right. Same time, I'm not sure there's a positive intention for that's being said. That's that's <laughs> a that's a bless your heart kind of moment. Um, you know, it's like this 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 could be a three hour conversation. This particular point, but when you're you're talking about the feelings that you have inside, and they and they come out this sort of like you know this courage acceptance mm -hmm. that we're talking about yeah. to raise your hand and say this isn't working for me. How do I go about it differently? We mm -hmm. all know people who this is their MO. Like it's it's uh it's like the whole world is crazy, but them, mm. you know, ever and totally and like so you I mean that's an extreme way of putting it for you, but like 
that's kind of, you know, like these relationships weren't, weren't working. This job wasn't working. These friends are no longer my friends. There are a lot of people who are like, screw them. Like it's them. It's not me. I'm, I'm living my fabulous life and inside they're a mess, but they, they die at, you know, whatever age their life comes to an end at never having accepted the fact that maybe they're the source of like, it can't be every single other person in the world that you interact with, but you did come to that. And it's not to say any of us ever gets perfect and we're all fixed, but like to come to a place where you're like, Oh, maybe the way that I'm interacting with people or the way I'm viewing these interactions I have and why I'm interacting in the first place is a source of it. And that to me was, is the, that's the recovery in it. Um, And recovery doesn't mean you're all done and you're fixed. It's like, now I'm going down a different path and the path I should, like you're saying at the beginning, like what you should be doing with yourself, what you, you know, you can do, um, what you're built to do. It's to, to come to realize that you, me, we are as much a part of the challenge as those with whom we have the challenge is a point of discussion, clarification, realization that I encounter every day because if I didn't learn something new every day, then I either didn't wake up or I like didn't listen to the radio or read anything, or talk to anybody. When we choose, when we decide actively, boldly, courageously, embarrassingly to show up as we are, how we are, what that is, is us being in our vulnerability. And I did not embrace that early enough, I guess, in my recovery time. I also think that I'm recovering for the rest of my life and not because I see a neurosurgeon or because I get a CT scan every couple of years because, you know, I am always trying to figure it out be better, be clearer, be kinder, be happier, contribute more, et cetera. The vulnerability thing, truth telling, you know, who I am, how I am, that only occurs when we let ourselves tell our stories. Yeah. And there's an appropriate resistance to that, I think not only to protect ourselves, but protect other people. And what's interesting uh, about things like reality television where people have cameras following them around in their homes, in you know intimate settings and truly personal things. When, I mean, that stuff is still edited and people are aware that there's a camera on them. So they're going to say what they want to say, knowing it will be, you know, viewed by millions of people. When we don't feel ashamed or we feel less ashamed about all the crazy that is within us, things are better. Yeah. Things are better. Yeah. Um. Kate, you literally blew my mind with that last bit. Because um, I talk too much. No, no. Um, that really, like, that hit me hard. I think that's that's the power moment. I know what I'm going to use for the intro to the episode. I'll tell you that much. Um, th- so you got to tell people about your book, where they can find you. But this, um, it's not it's not a long book. Um, but there's, it, but it's also not like read it in 30 minutes because there's a lot in it and there's so many like I think the the way to read it and this is sort of my intention with do a day is it's like yeah you'll get through my big book fairly quickly that's the point so you have time for you like each chapter there's tons of spots you can be like is this me 
is this what I'm doing? And for people to realize you don't have to have been hit by a car or taken out of the game for however long or gone through something terribly traumatic to need to put that introspection and work in. And I mean, there's stuff for myself that's like, yeah, I can be like, why am I doing that? Why did I say yes to that thing that, you know, was it out of desperation? Was it out of how I'm viewing myself? So, so many moments like that, um, that you offer people if they're willing to pause and, and reflect on that. So tell us about the book. Tell us where we can find out more about you. Well, Brian, thank you for, you know, your, your own book, which is rife with lessons and not presented like schools in session, kids recognize. Yeah. Writing conversationally is a big part of that writing for all of us because trauma is not only getting clocked in the head or, you know, getting physically attacked. Trauma is anything that has you devastated and emotionally harmed. And, you know, the COVID-19 epidemic has certainly put the world in trauma. Yeah. Anyone that denies that is just, I can give them a dictionary so they can actually see what it is. Yeah. My book is available to read on paper, to listen to, to read digitally. All the, it, because it's distributed by Ingram, it's, if you put it in your search engine, which is, it's called Believe It and Behave It, How to Restart, Reset, and Reframe Your Life, it will turn up anywhere around the world. Barnes & Noble, Amazon, uh, Kobo, Nook, Audible, Apple Books, iBooks, Apple Music, it's everywhere. And it's interesting, someone said to me a couple weeks ago, so are you tracking your book sales? And they mean it nice because, you know, they work in a profit-making business. And I said, no, I'm not. And they said, why not? And I said, well, one thing, the numbers, their metrics are, you know, it's a weird measurement. Number two, you didn't write it because I'm thinking of retiring next year or I'm moving to Fiji or somewhere where, you know, there's no extradition. Um, (laughs) I, I wrote it because in my darkest, before I found my heart again, I couldn't find anything or anyone that spoke with me. And I thought I couldn't possibly be the only person that felt that. And so I had a responsibility in this time that the universe has given me and a bunch of medical staffs has given me in this life. I needed to share what I had learned to help things be a little easier, a little brighter, a little better Mm. for people. And that's what it is. Uh, My last name is spelled in the Scottish way, which is H-A-R-V-I-E. So when you go to kateharvey.com, information about the book is there, all my media, uh, me, what I do, who I am. And it is my my honor to have the chance to say with people and ask them how are you feeling and it's not a generic question you know because we ask out of politeness in the u.s you know hoping people are going to say good or i'm fine and then you keep moving when we ask it and i think certainly since the covid when people ask it I believe that they're asking it because they know that the answer is not likely to be, I'm good or I'm okay. And they ask because they want to know. Yeah. I want to know, you want to know. And when we are honest with our answer, we will find ways to make it better. That's awesome. Believe it and behave it how to restart, reset, and reframe your life. I have to read it to make sure I get that right. Um, it's, it's awesome. I'm so thankful that I got to read it and I'm going thank to finish you. it like within the next half an hour. Um, Kate, thank you for joining me. Super, super powerful. 
Um, I really do encourage people to check you out at kateharvey.com and to look the book up and it's H-A-R-V-I-E. And I will put that in the show notes. And Kate, the most important thing of the whole show, are you ready to help me close it out? Ready. Today, Today is a new day. Today is a new day. And it's a new opportunity for us to define, design, and divine how we want life and ourselves to be. Awesome. Kate, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Brian, for everything you do. What a powerful, difficult journey. And to hear someone who has such clarity and insight and then remember what she went through and remember what her brain went through, that to me is perhaps the most important or powerful piece of her message is is this kind of subtle under-the-surface one of when we think that we've been pushed too far back or held back too much. We can't move ahead. We can't go forward. We can't reconnect to a path, to a journey, to a life that we wish we had. And yet Kate has done that. Even when, you know, the law said she couldn't, she put the work in over years, but put the work in to get herself to a place of not just helping herself, but helping others. Unbelievably powerful. I love Kate's message I love what she's doing. You should absolutely check out her book. I'm so thankful that I got to read it. It's called Believe It and Behave It, How to Restart, Reset, and Reframe Your Life. You can get it on Amazon. I link to it in the show notes. You can go to kateharvey.com and learn more about her. Get links to the book. It's K-A-T-E-H-A-R-V-I-E.com. Definitely check Kate out. And on social media, she's at Glossgal everywhere. Uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Tumblr, check her out there. I'm so thankful for Kate for joining. Um, I read her book. She also read mine. So we had this whole conversation about do a day. If you haven't, and you've been enjoying these conversations and the show, you can pick up your copy of do a day at doadaybook.com, or you can go to brianfalchuk.com and get access to all of my books, all of my stickers and hats and lots of fun other stuff, but also the do a day masterclass. If this stuff is speaking to you, put the time, put the work in to yourself, getting yourself to that place, you know, have that courage, have that vulnerability that Kate talked about and invest in yourself so you can go out and do it. Thanks everyone.